Welcome to New York Institute of Technology's podcast, The Scope. Produced by the College of Osteopathic Medicine, our episodes focus on the medical school experience and how it helps shape future physicians. Learn about exciting new health and wellness initiatives, cutting-edge medical research and technology, and how to effectively navigate medical school. We are excited to have you join us. Good afternoon and welcome to the SCOPE podcast. Today we are joined by a panel of brand new physicians from NYIT College of Osteopathic Medicine's class of 2020. I'm glad to say we have graduates from both our New York and our Arkansas campus. Today our new physician panelists will discuss their personal experiences over the past few months from residency match through participation in a virtual graduation during the pandemic, as well as sharing some of the new perspectives, personal challenges, and what it's been like for them to become a new physician during this unprecedented time in medicine. Please welcome our guest panelists, physicians from our New York campus, Dr. Daniela DeCaro. Can you tell us what your specialty is? Yes, hi. I am going into pediatrics and I'm going to be at Cohen Children's Medical Center. Great. Thank you for joining us. We have Dr. Samantha Gottlieb. And where will you be going, Dr. Gottlieb? I will be completing a transitional year internship at Lincoln Medical Center in the Bronx and then going into anesthesiology at St. Joseph's Medical Center in New Jersey. And Dr. Carolyn Verlota. I will be starting my categorical physical medicine and rehab residency this year in July. Wow, that is terrific. And from our Arkansas campus, Dr. Mirsha Steven. Hello, I will be completing an um, internal medicine residency at Wellington Regional Medical Center in South Florida. Thank you. And we are also very pleased to have faculty member from our Arkansas campus, assistant professor, Dr. Adrian Loftus. Well, how are you, Susan? I'm great, thanks. I'd like to open our conversation today by saying congratulations to our new graduates. How does it feel to be called doctor after all these years of study? It feels surreal. It's something that we've worked so hard to achieve for so many years, and we finally achieved this goal. Our calling, it feels good. It feels kind of strange, though, and I think it's going to take some getting used to. Dr. Steven. You are from our Arkansas campus, and it's also our inaugural graduation. It's the first class that has graduated from our Arkansas campus. We want to say how proud we are of you, and how do you feel about that? First off, I would like to say I feel proud and honored to be a part of the inaugural graduating class at NYIT at Arkansas State University um, with a mission to improve health care in the Delta region. I'm thankful that I was chosen to be a part of fulfilling this mission. I'm grateful for the great attendings as well as the NYIT faculty for their support and also being a part of the Jonesboro community which has tremendously embraced us. So it's been an honor and definitely a privilege to be a part of the inaugural class. Dr. DeCaro, tell me about how your match experience went. 
Match Day happened about a week after the stay-at-home orders had been issued in New York State, so we didn't actually have an in-person gathering. However, I thought Match Day for me was great. I was able to be with my family, and they were all just surrounding me when I opened up the email telling me where I would be for residency. And in Arkansas, you also had a virtual match experience, correct, Dr. Steven? Correct. It was about what we were hoping for. I felt supported throughout the experience. I was able to be surrounded by more family members and friends virtually um, that probably wouldn't have been able to make it if it was live. It was adjusting, but it was a, a still positive experience. Dr. Volata, during the experience where you were going through ERAS, working toward the determination of where you would ultimately begin your career as a physician, what was that experience like working with the administration from the school? From the side of the administration, Deb Heineman was definitely a huge support through the entire ERAS process. For me, when I got down to ranking, I was really down to a few top choices and I had so much trouble because I felt that I would be happy at all of them, really putting down like which one's number one, which one's number two, which one's number three. And she helped me really sort through what's important to me versus what might not be as important to me as an individual and helped make the process so individualized. And then Juliana was so useful in going over my CV constantly. I would email back and forth with her, going over my personal statement an unlimited amount of times. And both of their support was so invaluable. It was so important in the process. Thank you. Dr. Gottlieb, how was it when we were approaching the match date and the plans changed. What was that experience like for you? So first of all, still getting used to Dr. Gottlieb. Um, <laughs> very exciting. When we were approaching match day, match day in and of itself is already a very stressful time in our careers and in our process. So now adding to that, not knowing if we were gonna have a live ceremony or not even knowing if I personally could go home and be with my family during that time was very scary and very stressful. I think that ultimately, for me at least, it ended up being a positive experience. I was able to do a virtual match ceremony with a lot of my friends on Zoom and my family members. And similar to what Mirsha said, I was able to share that moment with so many more people that wouldn't have originally been invited to the match ceremony. It was a very positive experience out of something that was uncertain and scary. Sammy, I, I definitely felt the same fears that you did. When the stay-at-home order first happened, I called my parents and I said, am I going to be here opening the email by myself? And then what am I going to do? I'm going to say, oh, yay. Or if I'm upset and it's a bad outcome, I have no one there to support me physically. I mean, over the phone and virtually. But just like you said, it ended up working out and it was nice to have everyone support over Zoom that I otherwise wouldn't have had. Dr. DeCaro, tell me a little bit about how you felt as this began to unfold after the match and things are happening, especially in New York. This is definitely not what I had expected. I mean, throughout my years in medical school, I often look to this time of graduation and celebration 
to help push me through the tough times of studying like day in and day out, especially when it seemed like there was no end in sight to all the studying. And then being under the stay-at-home orders and in the middle of a pandemic, it just had not crossed my mind when I imagined how this time would be. But here we are, and everyone has had to learn how to adapt in their own way, and I've been very pleased with my community showing how resilient they are and how supportive we are of one another. Dr. Loftus, as a faculty member in Arkansas, anticipating the graduation of our first class, I would love to hear your opinions as an educator, and I also would like to know how this was for you as a a practicing physician in this circumstance. Well, I think the first thing to say is, of course, congratulations to my new colleagues. As far as perspective and um, how this affected the faculty in education and as far as getting ready for graduation of a new class, number one, I want to credit New York Institute of Technology for we're definitely already on track with a lot of technological space and kind of working through a lot of technological platforms. So the transition to actually doing education online was not as difficult or cumbersome as I thought it may be. There were just a little, few little knickknacks as far as trying to get back into that space of being in person, doing that while online and making sure that you could keep all of those cues, such as with lectures, making sure that you were timing yourself while doing lectures. And when you were in small group sessions, seeing how everyone was going to actually react to each other online and be able to actually still communicate in small groups, as well as getting ready for graduation. One of the things I really was looking forward to is seeing all of the fourth year class come back to campus. And we didn't get to have that, being able to hug them on match day and see them and congratulate them on match day, as well as just them coming back to the area to get ready for graduation. That was one of the things that definitely couldn't be replaced. Other than that, I think that seeing and remembering my own graduation experience, I think almost this was a little bit more heartfelt and being able to see everyone and actually this will be memorable for this class in comparison to all of their other graduations they've ever had or even other graduations some of them may have in the future. Doing this virtually was something that they'll never forget. I agree with you and thank you Dr. Loftus for your viewpoints on the graduation and I would pose to our panelists How was the experience for you being part of a virtual graduation? Dr. Gottlieb? So being part of the virtual graduation was definitely something that I never could have imagined when I started medical school. As Dr. Loftus has already said, just because it's different, it actually, to me, made it more special. I was able to share that day with more family members and more friends than would have been able to be there in person I also was able to have my fiance, who's a physician, hood me during the ceremony, which was very special because he wouldn't have been able to also at the real ceremony. And singing the national anthem 
for the virtual ceremony was by far my biggest accomplishment of my medical school career. And it was so exciting to be able to do that and bring some light and hope to all of my fellow classmates and now colleagues. That was quite a rendition. It was beautiful. Seriously, we want you to be a physician, but if you ever choose to have a dual career, Singer is definitely in the realm of possibilities for you. Wonderful, wonderful. And yes, Dr. Varlota. I had a really great virtual graduation experience at Well. I was pretty hesitant going into it just because it's not how you imagined it. You imagine yourself sitting with your classmates, reuniting with a lot of people. But I was talking to one of my cousins about how great it was. I didn't have to put on any makeup. I didn't have to do my hair. I didn't have to dress up. I could sit on my couch with my parents and eat food and watch my graduation. And that was special in itself. It was a no frills event. And it was also very special. It's my first graduation I've sat with my family for. Usually you sit with your classmates. And it was cool to hear my parents' thoughts about the graduation and what was happening. And definitely a different but very wonderful experience. Dr. Steven. How was your experience? I like to piggyback off of what both of these ladies said in the same thing. I just felt like it was more intimate being able to experience medical school graduation with my parents, my brother, and then to have like my family from New York, New Jersey, even Canada zoom in and celebrate with me. That wouldn't have been possible if it was a live graduation. So in a sense, I think it's very special not only being the inaugural part of the inaugural class at Arkansas State, but to say that I graduated virtually, that's something that I'll never forget. We're all a part of history. It's certainly clear that the graduation experience has been different than any other medical school graduation, I I would say, in history. The medical situation that is occurring right now will have lasting effects on how people practice medicine. How will the last three months and your personal experiences affect or change the way you perceive that you will practice as a physician in your future? Dr. Gottlieb? I think my answer is kind of twofold. During this entire you know, stay-at-home order, I have actually been living in Manhattan with my fiance who has been working in a COVID ICU. So I've been greatly exposed just in my own home and hearing his stories of his experience and just looking out on the city and reading the news articles. After being so excited to match at Lincoln Medical Center in the Bronx this upcoming July, it is actually designated a COVID hospital. So I was told a few weeks ago that when I start, I will be dealing with COVID patients. I think our training in medical school has prepared us to provide patient care to COVID patients, but it definitely alters the way that I will practice. I definitely am going to be using more precautions when I'm speaking with patients, definitely wearing more protective equipment, which is something I wasn't expecting to do. But then the other side of this is just that going into becoming an anesthesiologist, it's so important to remember all of the knowledge that you learn during medical school because you never know when something like this happens if you're going to be pulled out of your niche of anesthesia into going into an ICU. But if you're a doctor, you were trained to do all of that, to do medicine. So that's a different perspective that I never really thought of until this happened. 
Thank you. Yes, Dr. Berlotta. So for me, this experience um, of the past few months has also made me realize a, a, like a work-life balance is something that I could have probably done a lot better in medical school. What could I have cut out in terms of procrastination? Like, con like being on my phone and scrolling is so easy. But after having months of studying to do, I have found other hobbies that are more enjoyable than scrolling through Instagram and Facebook. So that's definitely one thing that reconnecting with what I really like to enjoy to do in my off time. The second thing is I think that I'm going to be a lot more cognizant and aware of what my patient's families go through when their family member is sick, whether it is COVID or something else, especially they could have other family members in the home that are immunocompromised the patient has some infectious sickness. And so they don't want the immunocompromised family member to be with the infected one. That is definitely something that I will keep more in the forefront of my mind as I start residency. Thank you. Dr. Steven? I think the way this pandemic will change, like the way that I practice medicine, is I think it will make me more vigilant and cautious, be more careful not to come to conclusions I think it also makes me more humble that there's a lot of things we don't know in medicine and it's ever changing. And it, it teaches me the importance of research and continued research in my fields. And I also think this pandemic brought to light the health disparities in our country and how public health and medicine are so intertwined, they're inseparable. And as leaders and physicians, we have to continue to be up to date on the ever-changing field of medicine. And I also think that telemedicine will be the wave of the future as I continue to practice medicine during these times. Thank you. You actually bring up an important point that I was going to address with the group. Do you see this time as being an impetus for change in the field of medicine? And, and you clearly indicated that you feel that uh, telemedicine will take on a stronger and more prevalent role due to this situation. It brings to mind, in Arkansas, there has been a shortage of physicians. Dr. Loftus, do you think that the increasing telemedicine can also impact that in a positive way? Absolutely. I think that anywhere that physicians can connect with patients out in rural areas or areas where that specialty is not found, that telemedicine can definitely impact uh, the community. In Arkansas, we have this even before the pandemic, but so does New York, so does every state. We have areas where patients don't have that access to care. And now that with the pandemic, what it has brought to light is that any physician can do telemedicine. I think that prior to this, physicians absolutely knew about telemedicine, but it's just having the time as well as the resources to be able to set that up and go about it. It takes licensure of the state. It also takes knowing how to connect with those populations. However, now I think it's going to make it a lot easier for every physician to keep telemedicine in some way, somehow via either telehealth visits or by mobile health within their practice. And they'll be giving more patients access to care. Yes, Dr. DeCaro. 
Yes, I would just like to add to talking about telemedicine. It's not something that we here in New York ever thought that we would need, at least in the downstate part of New York, you can find a doctor around every corner practically. However, in the span of a couple of weeks, several months ago, telehealth became totally mainstream here and across the country. I agree. As a non-physician and as a patient, this was the first time that I actually sought out telemedicine through one of uh, my physicians. Do you feel that because of the environment that we've been in in the last three months, whether it be seeking medical care through telemedicine or even the fact that many people who never would have understood or thought they would want to Zoom are now utilizing these internet connections in ways that we never did before. Yes, Dr. Loftus. Telemedicine has been around now for about two decades, maybe even a little bit longer. I remember in my medical school even, we were one of the first uh, medical schools to actually have mobile health. And even when I left medical school and went to a big city like Philadelphia for residency, it's not something that you hear about or see or talk about anymore. I think ICUs and radiologists use it more than anybody, and they've been very familiar with it for years because they've been using it. But now, as Dr. DeCaro has pointed out, there are areas where every community is going to use telehealth and telemedicine for the future. Do you feel in general that this situation will make people more apt to seek medical care that may not have otherwise? Could that be a benefit of this as well? I absolutely agree that it, it will be a benefit. I think it goes both ways. There are going to be people who now really understand that I can see a specialist 300 miles away. Also, it's going to give the healthcare community the opportunity to set up more connections to reach those patients that they couldn't reach before, or even see how maybe I don't have to see all of my patients right here in the office, that patients, maybe the elderly, the sick, those um, who are immunocompromised, maybe they don't need to necessarily come into the office as we once thought they needed to we can see them now through telemedicine platform. To continue along that line of thought, my own physicians have used, I've had telehealth visits as well as in-person visits during this pandemic and stay-at-home order. And I definitely think, especially for follow-up visits where a physician is just checking in to see how is that medication for you or how are you doing in terms of your pain, I think telemedicine will be great tool and great resource for these physicians. And I think that these are just allow physicians have more tools to be of use to their patients and to most benefit their patients. Thank you. In regard to the medical school experience, how do you think that the future will change? I think for the educational side of things, students have to now take in mind to be cautious and stay safe, but don't be scared. 
going to class is still going to be very important for your education. It's now going to be done maybe in a social distancing way. Maybe there are less students on campus at one time, especially in laboratory classes and, and lectures. Maybe lectures are not going to be in person as much. These are some of the things to take into account that will change in education. But medical school is one of those things that's also an essential resource that is out there and can't go away. It has to continue no matter what's going on in the world. Dr. Steven? Some advice that I would like to give to medical students is particularly during this time um, where you're social distancing while continuing your medical education, have a support system, have a group, have friends and do not isolate yourself. Even during these circumstances, medical school is very difficult and you need your support system and your mentors to get through this time. And don't be afraid to reach out if you have any difficulties. Dr. Gottlieb? I think that there are two very important things that underclassmen should really learn during their time as medical students especially given the current circumstances. The first of that is just learning how to be adaptable, especially on clinical rotations. You really need to be able to take things as they come, roll with the punches and come out of it better and not get flustered when things change because you might be pulled into a different unit. Your schedule might change because people are sick. And it's very important to learn that kind of adaptability while you're a medical student in order to be better prepared when you're a physician. And the other part is just fostering this idea of constant learning. There's so much that we don't know as physicians and in the medical field and the field of science as a whole. So you really need to foster that idea of you don't know everything, there's always more to learn, and kind of bring into your routine of learning these new things, of reading during your free time, just so you can be the best physician for your future patients. I'd like to conclude our conversation today by focusing on the positive. Can anybody in our panel share some of your views on positive outcomes that have emerged during the last few months and how we can retain a level of appreciation for things that we have learned during this time. Dr. DeCaro? So my hope is that we as a society are all going to become much more empathetic and understanding of one another through this experience. For instance, during medical training, it is commonplace that even if doctors, if you're feeling under the weather, to just kind of like power through it, like keep going, keep going, which isn't really the best for anyone. And now, especially with the novel coronavirus spreading, the mentality I think has shifted to no, stay home, take care of yourself, get better. We can only provide high quality care to our patients if we as physicians are feeling well and taking care of ourselves. Thank you. Dr. Gottlieb? I think that this whole experience honestly has kind of reinvigorated the medical community and kind of brought back this mentality of a team approach within the field. And that's between 
allied health professionals with physicians, but also just physicians from different specialties. We're all working towards the common goal of our patients, keeping them healthy so they don't get sick in the first place. And I think that this has kind of brought that more to light of just everybody helping each other and working towards this common goal. I think it's also just shown how important healthcare is in our society and in our country and how important the essential workers are. So I just hope that in the future, this kind of mentality continues into the next group of healthcare workers that enter the field and so on into the future. Dr. Borlotta? I also think a very positive outcome from this is that in a public health measure, that there's a lot of attention directed towards the underserved communities of New York, particularly in the Bronx and in Brooklyn, because those areas have been shown to have higher infection rates. So I think an outcome of this and what I hope to see is that in the public health community and in the communities in general, that there is more outreach and there is more education to these areas and more hygiene as well, because some of these areas with close quarters housing that's so easy to spread a virus like this, that hopefully there's some solution that can come that will have other positive health outcomes that are unrelated to the coronavirus, but a result of the changes made because of it. I think that the pandemic has created an environment where there's been almost a worldwide partnering. There has been a group effort where our physicians and our medical care workers are working feverishly to care for our people, but the cooperation of everybody else in the community is helping to bring those numbers down. As a physician, do you feel the support of the community in maybe a stronger or a different way than one may have felt it in the past? Dr. Gottlieb? I can say just living in Manhattan at 7 p.m. when everybody claps and applauds the healthcare workers and all of the essential workers. It's just really an emotional experience. I honestly can't believe how much support the whole field has been given throughout the past two months. And I just hope that that continues into the future. I think that it's also very wonderful. I agree with Sam. They're clapping for the essential workers, for the hospital workers. Even when this started, I didn't really think of someone at the supermarket or a transit worker as an essential worker. And it's really phenomenal that those people are being appreciated for the exposures that they have and the work that they do because they are being exposed at a similar rate or at a similar way that healthcare workers are exposed. They're being exposed to many people throughout the day in many different situations, especially transit workers. So I think it's great that we're appreciating all essential frontline workers during this pandemic. And it's been quite wonderful to watch from afar. Dr. Loftus, what advice would you offer to our new physician panelists as they begin their careers in medicine? A few things that I offer. First of all, be observant. Look around you, see what others are doing that have come before you or that are your colleagues even, and see if that can help you in your day or see what not to do sometimes. That's very important as you go out. Number two, stay honest. Be honest to yourself, be honest to your heart, be honest to your patients. With honesty comes humbleness. 
you will continue to be humble in everything you do and that honesty will stay with you for a long time. Number three, don't forget to say, I don't know when you need to, especially to a patient. You won't always have the answers. We are not made to be above human. We are just what we are. We sometimes don't know the answer and let patients know that. Know you have help. There are nurses and unit clerks, technicians, physical therapists, social workers, case management, and even environmental services staff that are there around you every day. You don't know that a great conversation with someone as they're cleaning a room can definitely get you the best cup of coffee. Know that there are also your upper level residents, attendings, colleagues, and also your faculty. We'll always be here for you. Feel free to reach out. And last, be well. Always take care of yourself. You can never take care of a patient if you are not as well as you can be. Remember the old adage, never run to a cold blue. Then they will be doing CPR on you as well as the patient. Take care of yourself. At this time, I would like to thank all of our guests for sharing their valuable insights and experiences during this unprecedented time. I would also like to take this opportunity to personally thank our panelists for making the decision to become a physician. I truly believe that each one of you will change the world through the care and compassion you provide to your patients, to your family, and to your friends. I offer you thanks. At NYIT College of Osteopathic Medicine, we encourage everyone in the medical education community and beyond to strive for excellence, be compassionate, focus on the positive, work together, and look forward to an exciting and bright future ahead. Thank you very much for joining us today.